This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Hello and welcome to Plato's Cave, a Triple R film criticism show and podcast. My name is Lisa Kovacevic and joining me in the cave tonight are Emma Westwood and Felicity Ford. Hello. 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 How are you? Good. I've been away for ages. I know. <laughs> Feels weird. <laughs> um, on tonight's show, we discuss the sci-fi horror Mandy starring Nicolas Cage, Australian drama Ladies in Black and Australian documentary Ghost Hunter. And I just want to say up front um, that one of the films that we'll be reviewing tonight is I think my favourite film of the year and is one of also, one of these films is probably my least favourite of the year. Ah, Not now as- my head is going around in circles trying to work this out. I know. Not as bad as Amy Schumer's I Feel Pretty or Oprah's Turn in a Wrinkle in Time, which were awful, but it's definitely a bottom feeder with those two films wow. for me. I really mm. didn't like it at all. But there's another film that I just absolutely loved. It could be one of my, it could be one of my favourite films of all time. I loved it that much. I'm just saying that. Is it Ghost Hunter? (laughs) No, we're going to start with Ghost Hunter because it's one of the other two. Okay, Um, this is elimination time now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll start with Ghost Hunter, which is um, by Australian photographer, short film and television commercial director Ben Lawrence. And this is his feature film directorial debut. Um, It is a documentary. And it starts out as a portrait of a Western Sydney security guard and part-time ghost hunter, Jason King. What is a ghost hunter, you may ask? Um, According to King, it's someone who seeks to resolve strange happenings and hauntings in people's homes. He does this with a team of ghost hunters and some paranormal detecting devices and allows the documentary crew along for the ride. King doesn't charge for his services. For him, helping people put spirits to bed is reward enough. King is presented to us as a jovial yet troubled soul, helping others with their supposedly haunted homes. But what starts as a documentary about the paranormal gradually evolves into a story of repressed trauma. King, who is a willing participant in the film, reveals he has spent two decades searching for his absent father in an attempt to reconcile his fractured memories and piece together his past. King's search and the documentary soon converge with a police investigation and a horrific family secret is exposed, forcing him to confront a brutal past, a violent present, an attempt to reclaim his future. Um, The film was shot over several years remarkably and um, what would have been a simple character study uh, soon turns out um, to, to, to investigate something much deeper mm. we can say. Um, what did you f- think of the film Em? Mm, yeah there seems to be a, 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 a this idea well look it's always been there with documentary where or inherently there where the idea that um, people start a documentary or a filmmaker starts a documentary expecting to do a certain a, mm. thing and then, yeah, it <clears throat> turns into something else. I think that uh, a good example of that was actually the one that won the Academy Award this year, which was Icarus. Oh, yeah. Did you see that? That, that was, was about the drug, the doping, was yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was meant to be go down the track of um, doping in uh, cycling, cycling. Mm-hmm. but then sort of broadened out, broadened out into a much wider conspiracy, Russian conspiracy with um, doping through... Um, Olympics and so forth. But um, 
and and look, this this kind of is a similar well, not similar, not it's got nothing to do with <laughs> um, drug sports doping doping or anything like that. But it's similar in the way that as a documentary, it starts as something and then it turns into something else rather quickly turns into something Mm. else though because I just looked like literally a few seconds ago before coming on this show and the IMDB synopsis says follows a real life ghost hunter and that's it Mm. right but (laughs) I have looked at other things on this film since um at the uh, well when I was about to watch it and it does it does wear it on its sleeve that it is initially the idea and I think Ben Lawrence who by the way is a son of Ben Lawrence is the filmmaker of Ghost Hunter I believe is this the son of um Ray Lawrence Ray Lawrence of Lantana yeah. and, and Gingerbine yeah oh, right yeah, Both yeah. excellent films. Yeah, so yeah. he has a, a bit of a filmmaking heritage in his blood, shall we say. So he took out an ad uh, or he looked, he found an ad in um, a local I think paper. it was the Sydney Morning Herald or something. Yeah, yeah. something like that about yeah. this ghost hunter and that's how it, you know, it went, he began doing this. Um, well, he called oh. him up and... Um, uh, was it King? Um, the the what's the name of the mate? Jason King, who is the ghost hunter, sort of said to him, "Oh, look, I'm doing a hunt tonight. You can come along for the ride, kind of thing." Yeah, exactly. and that's actually, where it started. Yeah, I don't I don't know if I believed that. Um, oh. The setup because it was a bit unclear. You, so the the documentary opens with uh, Ben calling calling Jason and saying he wants to film him, but it. <laughs> When you look back into Lawrence's past um, work, it's all around social issues. All of his photography exhibitions have been focused in on that. I just feel focused. as though... I like that word, <laughs> photography, focus. Yeah, yeah. Very nice. But, it's, <laughs> but it, it just seems like what... I can't imagine that there was an initial documentary that was just going to be about ghost hunting from this Oh, so filmmaker. cynical. I know. So I cynical. just feel like he kind of had an idea of where he wanted to go oh. and I feel like there's that tendency and I'm kind of, I think it's a great trend in documentary to kind of almost open up the structure and kind of like, oh, we were going to focus in on this but the story was much bigger and the trailer kind of gives it away as well. I don't know. I just I, yeah. I couldn't imagine what this film would have been. It's hard not it to give, it a, give away that it's going elsewhere, let's just say, yeah. because well, otherwise it was totally misleading. It pivots it? on it. And yeah. oh, it's funny that you mentioned that they flick because when watching it, um, that they play the phone call that Lawrence makes um, to King, to Jason King about saying, oh, you're going on a ghost hunt, can I join in sort of thing? And it sounds reenacted because it probably is because it's not It's not like is he recording that early in the piece before yeah. he's even done anything? So th- mm. I, I, I sort of had that feeling too but only more from the performance of the film because it, oh, right, it felt yeah. very performative, this film, in a lot of ways, to me anyway. It's there very were, cinematic. There were, uh, yes, it's very cinematic. Mm. It looks, it, it's actually quite beautiful. It's stunning. Um, he's, he's got uh, training at the New York Film School, right? I think he yeah, went over uh, there. Did he? It? Yeah, okay, I think he went over right. there. So he, that, yeah, that comes across because it's his debut feature, isn't it? Yeah, yeah that's feature? what, yeah. Yeah, 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 Lisa said in yeah. the intro. Yeah, absolutely. And, um I think that I don't have a problem. It's interesting. That may have been a phone call that happened and they reenacted it for the sake of the documentary. It's like that whole dramatic recreation in a documentary. 
I think this is always something that, and I, look, I don't know whether it was reenacted or not, but uh, I think it's likely, as you guys have pointed out, <laughs> the cynics in the room. <laughs> yeah, but you know, that's still it's a, that's an interesting thing about the art of documentary. Is mm. that right to do that? Is that right? Well, it happened. Is it, it is it still documentary if we're reenacting it? Exactly, yeah. exactly yeah. that whole thing. And there were a few um, interactions with uh, Jason, for example, and his sister where she seemed to be presenting a whole lot of expository information that was more like a daytime soapy if you know what I mean the Mm. way that they have to you know provide a backstory almost like she was coached to do it I'd be interested to know how that did play out it would be interesting to know a little bit more about the background of this mm. and whether that what we're getting through the media is the real background or what's being marketed to us. Yeah. It's just saying. I think it's interesting you mentioned Icarus because for me it brought, it actually brought to mind a much older film um, which was made, which was Andrew um, Jarecki's Capturing the Freedmen's. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. Which is, again, it starts with a human subject. And in, in, in that film, um, he started doing this documentary about the number one clown in New York. Um, and then he sort of realised halfway through, he was like, oh, this is a really angry clown. <laughs> and he sort of did a, did a little bit more digging and, and, and found this whole story of his family um, and it's unravelling in the sort of 70s, 80s. But he just stumbled on an absolute goldmine with that film because there was all this archival footage from the family and he create he created I think a quite a remarkable documentary out of that that sort of grew into more of an investigation of memory family trauma and truth which I think this film is about equally um, but it kind of uh, whether or not you know it, it's it's been designed that way or not or if it was a natural revelation for the filmmaker. Um, I feel like it sort of it didn't have the same resolution of, say, Jarecki's Capturing the Feedmans or he also did The Jinx, mm. which a lot of people be, might be more familiar with, yeah. of a recent film, which, again, had this sort of remarkable resolution to it. He sort of got this knack, this um, documentarian for finding those stories yes. and resolving them. This one kind of... It was remarkable in so many ways, but possibly maybe not satisfying because you don't sort of. I didn't feel like a, I, I got a proper resolution out of it. That said, the the cinematography in this is beautiful. Mm. It's and it's far superior than sort of a drama film that I, you know Australian drama films I've seen of late. It's really excellent and um, incredibly well crafted for a documentary. You know, he creates such an atmosphere and mood, but um, something is lost, I think. It's, I don't know, at the cost of the story, I don't know. I did find it, uh, it fascinating in its depiction. I think he was playing as the documentary filmmaker. He was playing the audience as well in this idea of what uh, Jason King was to the public, to the people, maybe even to Jason King himself, mm. that the idea that of repressed trauma, I mm. think we can say that. Oh, yeah. That that's, you know, pretty much about what it's it's around that sort of victim victim attack cycle and um, how things repeat themselves um, and how that in some ways the character was um, uh, didn't recognise didn't see themselves. There was a lot of subjective um, uh, memory in it, mm. playing with this idea of memory, um, and and also what what you see as an appearance. And for 
and Ben Lawrence did make a point in the film. It was interesting how he came into the film as a documentary yeah. filmmaker as well. Let's just say he didn't initially, I think it was for about the first 15 minutes, he didn't really see any of uh, anything of him and then all of a sudden he revealed himself as a character in it as well following this ghost hunter, and I should say, because I need to remember to say this, we're talking about Ghost Hunter, that's the name of the, the, yeah. the documentary, <laughs> um, and um, he even said, so Ben Lawrence, as a filmmaker, even said himself, I think I haven't seen a certain side of Jason that we were only hearing about. It was like it was rumour mm. in the documentary. There was no evidence no. in the documentary of I, it of, I, of it yeah. but I like that because that was what was it, it was I, teasing at you yeah. going well what do you think of him mm. and how would you respond to this man and therefore um creating I thought was a, a, a true character like a full 360 degree character who's has his good points and has his bad points I actually feel like the f- the documentary itself is um, an investigation also of what documentary is. Like yeah. Ben Lawrence at the same point as he's uh, um, investigating this character of who is Jason King or who is the real Jason King and having all these people, um, various family members, <clears throat> pardon me, comment on his behaviour or past instances um, of violence, I feel like... It's also the question of what do you decide to show and what do you focus in on? And I actually loved the... I mean, even if the even if I don't quite believe that, that he was initially going to make a film about ghost hunting, the very thought of focusing in on on this man who is is obsessed with the paranormal and yet the the actual everyday experiences are so much more interesting and unbelievable than what's yeah. potentially happening with these ghosts and I thought that was such a wonderful That's a setup. Great hook. Yeah. It's a great hook it's, it's in such itself. A, like yeah. that very and all of the um, the normal being crazier than the yeah. paranormal, you know. And, <laughs> and the kind of the repeated imagery of um, you know, and it's maybe like an obvious one, but like the repeated imagery of of people very much haunted by their past, and then having what what might that offer to someone to have that release? And it's kind of fantastic that he can acknowledge it on a very paranormal level, but not directly address it in his own. Um, emotional relationships and it was, it was just, I don't know, I thought that there's a real tenderness to Lawrence's approach and since watching the film, which, uh, you know, when you were saying that you had a favourite for the, mm. I thought maybe it was Ghost Hunter because mm. this was my favourite for this week and I thought that um, there's something about the beauty of showing these uh, various characters in, in different stages of trauma or um, g- generational trauma often. And, the yeah, I thought there's a real tenderness to how Lawrence approached it and I've since gone through all his photography work and it's really quite impressive. Like he did a, a series on uh, Redfern, um, uh, the iconic suburb in, in uh, New South Wales, and he's he's just um, a lot of his ad campaigns are around depression and alcoholism and yeah it's, it's really I think mm. he's a very fascinating filmmaker and I'm really excited to see what he comes up with next because this film just stood with me like there's something about those characters that mm. really I don't know I just um, I love that he captured it in a visual sense through those really haunting opening. Yeah, shots that it's just so stunning. It's like, so stunning. It, yeah, it, it kind of evokes so, it. So cinematic. And also the sound design and the score I thought was excellent. 
um, perhaps more, <laughs> perhaps toward the end, it was a little too much yeah. of the foreboding sort of yeah. Yeah, that it was trying to draw out of you. It maybe could have paired back on that at the end, but um, it just, yeah, as a whole cinematic piece, I thought it was a remarkable feat to, to create a documentary like this. You know, mm, I thought it was, mm. it's really ex- excellent. And it ends on the logical song, which just reminds me of Magnolia, the um, Paul Thomas Anderson film. Every time I hear it. <laughs> But it was oh, something yes, it about does. that song yeah. that um, that was the only, I think, popular, you know, popular yeah, song, song that was That's included true. in it, and mm. it had it it it's it worked as a device mm. for some reason. It really felt like a strong end to me, well, but yeah. a cinematic end, as you said, not so much a documentary. It could end. have been referencing Magnolia in that too, because it's all these sort of intersecting stories and threads mm. of people's lives. Very much so. Know. Very yeah. much so. It could yeah. be quite, yeah, yeah it could there's be a that. Lot of, there's a lot of references to it. I was actually, when you both were mentioning mm. films that you were reminded of, I was actually thinking of A Woman Captured, the um, documentary mm. that was playing at MIF. Yes, I saw that. Yeah. Was yeah. Well. Yeah, that was just, remarkable. And that question of like, um, I suppose Lawrence kind of, yeah, does introduce himself, but with Woman Captured, they're very very much involved with for both of these documentaries and I, I strongly recommend that you go see A Woman Captured. Me but, too. Um, yeah, that, that mm. sense of like the involvement, the ethical involvement of the filmmaker, of how much they're going to help this person. Like um, Lawrence is very much involved with helping Jason find his father. He comes to him, he's got all this information about how they can go about it. Um, Jason is um, not quite illiterate but has a difficulty reading. Um, so he's very like... The filmmaker is very much involved with it and Woman well, Captured has the same thing. He strikes mm. a friendship with him yeah. and this is often a case with, um, I, I mean, how can you not as a document, as a person be with someone for seven years? If you choose to be with someone for seven years, as much as you might even professionally want to do something, you have to have a rapport, really. Mm. 100%. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he, he says, he's talking, uh, Ben Lawrence is talking to someone with him in the film um, about sort of these uh, alleged um, violent outbursts that um, Jason may or may not have had. Um, And he sort of says to him, he's like, I don't, I've not witnessed it, but, and I've been with him. I'm his friend. I've been with him this, all this time. And I don't know that I can believe it or that he wants to believe it. He has this sort of moral internal dilemma too, which is becomes part of the film, like you say, in injecting himself into it. Um, look, if you are interested in seeing it, it is on limited release um, at the moment. I know you can see it. Um, let me just find out where it's played. It's playing at um, Classic Cinema in Elstonwick if you're in Melbourne and Lido Cinema in Hawthorne and other places, um, limited release around the country. You are listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3RRR FM in Melbourne, Australia. Well, have you ever fallen asleep watching an Apex Twin special on Rage, bathed in the red glow of your lava lamp? <laughs> that is so very, very, very appropriate, Lisa. I haven't finished. Uh, well, your friends discuss the potentiality of demons and other worlds in between bong hits? No? Uh, well, Panos Cosmatos has recreated the ensuing nightmare from which you might have awoken had you done that on your year 11 school holidays. Um <laughs> Mandy is Cosmatis's second feature following 2010's trippy 70s-inspired sci-fi flick Beyond the Black Rainbow. Like Cosmatis's first film, Mandy is set in 1983, a post-apocalyptic world or planet of some description not dissimilar to our own, but certainly a lot weirder. After a slow credit sequence in a timber yard set to the stately prog rock of King Crimson's Starless, which we just heard some of, 
Um, we meet Lumberjack Red, played by Nicolas Cage and Mandy, Andrea Riseborough, living on the fringe of society in a cabin in the woods beneath red and blue saturated skies. We're privy to their dreamy conversations and visually drift in and out of their love haze. But their secluded haven is savagely destroyed when Mandy walks past a van carrying the children of the new dawn, a deviant hippie cult led by the sadistic Jeremiah Sand. Sand is struck by Mandy and orders one of his disciples to kidnap Mandy with the help of the Black Skull a demonic biker gang with a taste for human flesh and a viscous, highly potent form of LSD. Mandy meets an awful fate and Red is forced to witness something no person should have to, catapulting Red into a phantasmagic journey filled with bloody vengeance and laced with deadly fire. The film is carried by a weighty synth score, revelling in menacing ambient doom drone, driving into <laughs> black metal and coming up for air with piercing orchestrations for experimental Icelandic from exper- sorry, from experimental Icelandic musician Johan Johansson. Can you tell I had a lot of fun writing this? Um, <laughs> of which Mandy is sadly his final score. He sadly passed away suddenly um, earlier this year. Um, If some prophet had have said to me, your favourite film of this year will be a 1980s set action horror revenge genre film starring Nicolas Cage of all people, I would have laughed maniacally and my head would have spun around a la The Exorcist. Um, (laughs) But to me, this was just pitch perfect filmmaking. I effing loved the shit out of it. Um, Wow. (laughs) I really did. Um, I, um, I was, it was funny last week I was telling someone I was having to review this film uh, Mandy and I was like, oh, rolling my eyes because I'm really not a Nicolas Cage fan. Um, and now I just feel like I took the LSD and I now see the matrix of Nicolas Cage and I understand <laughs> The rage him. in your cage. The rage in my cage. Uh, it was just, yeah, cage it is cagiest. Um, but I, what did you like about it specifically, Lisa? Oh, everything. Oh, I th- the, for, for one, it, 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 I actually was able to achieve a suspension of disbelief, which I find really difficult now, especially because we've reviewed so many films throughout the year. It's really difficult for me to get there. Um, And Cosmatos is just, I think, an extraordinary filmmaker uh, who is, yes, playing in genre. um, But there and there are so many, you know, 80s, inspired genre films at the moment and TV series like Stranger Things. It's making um, me feel old though. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, oh yeah, let's go retro, retro 90s. 90s. Yeah, it's I like, know. Mm, <laughs> Are we there already? Um, yeah, I know. I know exactly what you mean, but I just find I just find all those films. I'm actually not a Stranger uh, Things fan because it, to me it's just so cynical. It's just sort of cashing in on uh, the nostalgia of our youth and stuff, whereas this film is just a sign. It's a sign of great art when you can when you can take and borrow from a genre, from from art that has been done before and create something so fantastically new and original, I just think that's a sign of a great artist and I really think Cosmatos is one of them. It feels like a film, it's not a film about the 80s, it feels like a film that could have been made in the 80s It is that good. Um, And he's the sort of filmmaker that reminds you of the filmmaker. The filmmaker is a character in this film. I found myself a lot of times going, oh, I wonder where that light source is coming from or I wonder how he achieved that effect. Um, and and I, But it didn't distract from the journey of the, of the film either, you know. It just sort of made me... I was just in awe, actually, for, for most of this film. The score... 
um, from Johan Johansson as well is as much a character as the filmmaker is, as Nicolas Cage is, as the cinematography is. I just found this in a completely immersive experience. I know most reviews we'll read will say somewhere in there, this is not a film for everyone. Um, (laughs) And yes, that is probably true. I mean, it is pure id. It is just, it is so subconscious. You need to let it wash over you, um, you know, be in the cinema and see it and experience it. Um, go with a friend or go alone if you dare. But, you know, it, it is quite <laughs> terrifying. Um, but, yeah, I really I really enjoyed it. I could go on, but I'll, I'll let you say, get a word in. <laughs> well, yeah, I, mean, I agree about the score especially. Mm. Um, so I, I sent a message to my friend as I started to watch this, like, one minute in, the scores got me because <laughs> I just He's was a so, wonderful, oh, um, yeah, amazing. composer, a great so, tragedy. Yeah. If, if anyone's um, can recall the score to Arrival, he's done a lot yeah. of work with Sicario? Denise uh, Villeneuve, yeah, yeah. and um, he's incredible. So yeah. it's it's quite sad it's, that we've lost him, unfortunately, Johan Johansson. And it's such a powerful, like I think that opening with, with that score sets up all everything you need to know about the film. Like yeah. it, it is a perfect accompaniment um, or even, as you could say, like a film in itself, in its own right almost. Um, yeah, the score is so powerful and, and it kind of made me focus in on the voices and, and the way in which this world is created because it, it does have uh, a lot of peculiar elements to it. And I think that that's kind of the strength of of, of his work here is it's just like he's he's created this and really dedicated himself to it. Like it's it's like a a really crazy acid trip. Um, and I I don't know if I I wouldn't put it on my fave fave flicks of the of the year, <laughs> admittedly. But I, I was um, I wonder whether it was how I was watching it. I think this is definitely a film you need to see in a cinema. Um, I was watching it at my computer with um, very um, fancy headphones on, um, not unlike uh, the ones I'm wearing right now. Um, and so but I d- not illegally, <laughs> may we add. No. 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 I, no. Legit <laughs> reviewer. <Legitimately>. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I, and I, I, I couldn't help but feel, like similar to a film like Neon Demon where I feel like it really you do need to be in a, in a theatre for this, this wonderful visual and oral spectacle. Um, I thought the main performance by uh, Andrea Riseborough, is that how you pronounce yep. it? Yeah, just amazing. Like her her facial expressions. I mean, she she's it's. I mean, the film is both named after her, but she really holds it together. Her her performance through this, I think, was the strongest part for me, where she kind of um, just magically transforms from in all these different roles, and I found her so captivating. It did for me. Uh, I am actually a big uh, Cage fan, but it did underscore. Uh, Cage's flatness. (laughs) Uh, He has this amazing ability to go from like zero to a hundred, but and that comes out. You know, obviously it's a revenge film, um, which the trailer gives away. So I don't think that's a spoiler. But uh, it just any of the like romantic scenes, I was just rolling my eyes because I was just like his voice and everything he said. It actually Mm. reminded me. I know this is terrible, but like being in your twenties. And yeah, that kind of, it's definitely got like this like bong sort of room, (laughs) like late night Mm -hmm. feel to it. The whole film has that feel to it. And then when you couple that with like Cage saying these like sweet nothings with his flat voice, I was just like, oh, this just reminds me of like bad relationships in my 20s. Like this is not a... Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I just kind of felt it was... 
it was like perfectly captured that tone. You but felt I was like you were in like, a room with your ex-boyfriend uh, just, and, and yeah, some bong smoke or something. Yeah, just, I don't know. <laughs> Lingering in the air. feel of like, I just found him, uh, yeah, I just found that that, it was, it was cheesy. I mean, it's kind of wonderful, but it's cheesy and crazy. Yeah. I mean, I I have you seen um, Enter the Void, the yeah. Gaspar Noé yeah. film? Did you like Enter the I Void? I hate it. All right, because <laughs> I think that there was a, a lot of that yeah. in this film. Although um, I don't think there's any way that you could oh, – look, it's, it would be so easy to sit here and critique um, – Mandy in terms of the films that you see in it because yeah. he is a very um, learned filmmaker, shall we say, Panos Cosmatos, who was brought up when well, we talked about Ben Lawrence with um, mm. Ghost Hunter before this and his father. And his Ray, father yeah. But Panos Cosmatos's father's George Cosmatos who um, made Rambo, yeah. <laughs> of all things, <laughs> and um, also Tombstone, which I think is hilarious that the Beyond the Black Rainbow was actually financed from the DVD residuals of um, Tombstone, of Tombstone oh, because it's a completely different movie. <laughs> but he is someone who has dragged so many influences into the film, his films, um, and there's a direct lineage between um, Beyond the Black Rainbow and Mandy. You can see the way these these films have worked in together. But he's he's a visualist. It's all about the the visual immersion and the visual experience. I don't think he's actually a very good writer at all. I didn't like the dialogue <laughs> oh, much. I've written down it. Can I read out my favourite line? Yeah. Cut through bone like a fat kid through cake. I was like, that makes no sense. That, makes, <laughs> like, that is the worst line I've heard. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't mind the dialogue or the story at all. I mean, it's just, it's a classic revenge um, trope. It's Mad Max. Yeah, I mean, it's oh, just, hey, let's it's not, Mad Max. Let's not smear Mad Max. I, 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 I don't know that it is. Yeah, Max. I mean, I don't know that it is Mad Max. It's basically, you know, it's, it's, it's the old trope of, you know, um, man loses woman and seeks revenge. And normally I would have been like not into that at all because I'm like, oh, yeah, and the woman's just like this fetishized object that has to be like murdered or in some grotesque sort of way. And it has her, her, um, what happens to her is horrific, but it's also hidden in a way too, which I thought was interesting. Mm. And then, as you say, Flick, she that actress is remarkable in this yeah. film. She has such a gravitas. Um, and the character it's, uh, as well of Mandy just hovers over the film the entire time. She doesn't disappear and just become this sort of um, plot device for um, Nicolas Cage's character, Red, to transform. Um, she she really, dro- she sort of, she's almost like the puppeteer to him is how I sort of saw mm. it, yeah. and I and I thought that that was I really appreciated that you know that she and, yeah. and the, the I, fact that it's called Mandy. I yes, mean, it's she's I, yes, the, she's the, the core of this film. I found that um, for the first half, it's a film in two, definitely two halves. Um, the first half that because uh, you hear all the talk about this is you know this is Nicolas Cage going full cage and mm. for the first half that's not there no you know it's so underplayed in fact he takes yeah. a back seat which I thought was kind of remarkable you wouldn't you might if he did if it wasn't billed as a cage film I might not have noticed yeah. that it was him you know no, yeah, I might have exactly. been going is that Nicolas Cage so I that, thought that something voice, <laughs> <so distinct. laughs> well, something's got to happen and then it changed it changed but the thing is the film tonally it was like he didn't know 
I thought, what is the film you're trying to make here? Is it the the serious, deeper film that you had at the start or is it the let's go full throttle and the comedy? Comedy came oh, into yeah. the second half yeah. of it, yeah. which I found kind of a, a little odd. It was sort of, it was like it was fighting the against itself in Spain. The whole thing was odd. What are you talking about? Yeah, so you don't know the cinema that I usually watch. <laughs> um, yeah, oddness, but oddness in, let's say, uh, not in synchronicity with its oddness. It's, um, but yeah. it's, yeah, I think the Pan- Panos Cosmatis has the feel of he reminds me of Peter Strickland and even to a certain sense Guillermo del Toro, who I will watch their films and you see the genius and it hasn't quite come out yet and then I know he's going to hit his stride where there's going to be one film that he really... Like, I felt The, the Shape of Water. No, you didn't, uh, mm-hmm. Lisa. But I felt this year that was where I've, I saw Guillermo del Toro come together. Mm. Similarly with Duke of Burgundy with Peter Strickland. Uh, you can see them almost working out their form. Um, someone else was... Uh, Pedro Almodovar, I took I think, took ages. A lot of people really loved his early career, but he took ages to really hit his stride, to to really – there's the stuff there, but it's not totally happening. Mm. Um, it's a bit liked, confused. I liked, the, I liked the chaos of it, though. So did I. I, I like the, when you were saying before about, um, yeah, Mandy being this kind of really fascinating and very, like, integral and, um, you know, character with real agency, I've got in my notes uh, – I can't explain the, <laughs> the craziness behind my notes, but I've got 50 <laughs> minutes in Flaccid Penis – which I think I'm referring to oh, that's Linus, Linus Roach. Roach's. Yeah, yes. I didn't Jeremiah. actually recognise Linus Roach yeah. so until Linus Roach the plays the, yeah. the cult leader, but, we should say, yeah, in but this I think, film. Yeah. But the, the reason I'm not just, like, picking out exactly when a, a penis arrives on stage, uh, on screen. I loved that, though. That, that she was scene, so empowered. That scene was so fantastic. Yeah. So you have uh, this, this villain um, exposing himself to her in this, like, ridiculous kind of over-the-top speech that he does, and her response is, just to laugh mm. manically and I thought that was such a powerful scene mm. and the way in which like her performance <laughs> is amazing and he and actually Jeremiah also is great there was a real Twin Peaks vibe for me yeah. watching the whole thing it's um, a lot of Lynch yeah yeah, yeah. really yeah. heavily yeah. Lynchian yeah um, but I, you know I got into that I, I really dug it I don't know if I, I I'm sure there's like um there's going to be people such as yourself Lisa who are like super fans I, mm. I wouldn't class myself as that but I think there's I enjoyed these, yeah. like, chaotic and rebellious little outbursts through it that were enough. But I, mean, I wasn't that into it, I have to admit. I, I, yeah, but I think that, that like, it's it's sort of where Grindhouse meets Art House, mm, though, isn't it, you know? Yeah. where it's oh, the like, colours as the well. The colours were incredible. The the camera work was remarkable and the, and the choice of cameras was, I just thought, superb. There was just so much precise filmmaking mm. for me um, um, he, he decided to use this Ari Alexa camera um, to achieve this sort of old school um, film yeah, look and yeah. atmosphere and I was listening to an interview he did the other day and he was saying that he really wanted to use the Panavision anamorphic format for the day scene so it would look sort of like a Super 8 or something I think um, but the insurance company wouldn't let him and he was like ready to walk away from the project <laughs> I mean that's how you know dedicated these filmmakers <laughs> he's like I can't do it then um, but so he didn't he, he ended up sort of overlaying um, scans of 16 millimeter and 35 mil film in post to give it that sort of mm. texture? Um, oh, it's got beautiful, like oh my all God. of that come like 
you just couldn't fault it in the visual, like the visual sphere of it. It's amazing. And even like, I feel like I've watched a lot of torture porn, but I feel like this was possibly the most cinematic I've seen for a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 100%. Um, yeah. I don't know. I just, I, I couldn't, I just couldn't recommend it more. For me, it was transcendent filmmaking. I just was really, really taken by it and happy to go on the journey as dark as it was. And I, I mean, there was this scene where there are two like people battling it out with a chainsaw. Oh, that was chainsaws. Chainsaws, sorry. And that's I just not thought, a chainsaw. Yeah. <laughs> this is a chainsaw. I mean, it's just, when people see it, they'll know what that means. <laughs> it's, it's, it's ludicrous, but I, I could just sort of uh, go with it. And yeah, particularly, uh, you know what else I really appreciated that not much is explained. We're not really told where we are or why we mm. are. Um, uh, Mandy has a scar on her face that's yeah. never explained. Um, we don't really know where um, their cabin in the woods is, but it's it's got an inc- it's just got an incredible ambient feel to it that so many filmmakers fail to achieve. And so I just yeah. commend this filmmaker on creating a world. Thank you. You know that's mm. what, and it just sort of shows you the potentiality of the cinematic form that is so often lost. I feel in you know commercial filmmaking, which I just you know like I said, all these sort of nostalgic 80s films are just wallowing hopelessly in nostalgia and I just you know Ready Player One those sorts of I just don't I just feel like there's nothing new there to offer cinematic and television audiences and it's cynical in in that way you know and I don't I don't appreciate it in his in his coloring is very very Dario Argento Mm. so if you have seen much of that that um that the blue red pools of blue red are really played out there was a lot of I felt that there was a lot of European cinema that he was drawing on yeah. more than more than anything, but literally anyone who's a, you know a fan of a fan of film will sit there and can pick and see little bits of so many different yeah. things in 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 here. How great was that little bit where um, you get introduced to Children of the New Dawn through it uh, through the title? Um, oh, framing. the chapters! I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, so yeah. the the film has um, chapters mm-hmm. with title cards, yeah. and um, yeah, that works so well. I mean, there's animation in this film as well, which is yeah. really surprising. And for me, it worked. I don't know. I was just I just thought this is just pure creativity let loose. There's no care about the audience yeah. or about ticket <laughs> sales. And He's, I was I just really effing loved fe- it. His female characters are very interesting as well. Yeah. Just to hug, to bring it back to mm. Black um, Beyond the Black Rainbow, um, she, the, the, the main female character in that, a much y- a younger girl, had a look that I felt that um, Andrea Riseborough sort of looked like a kind of slightly crazed, although she was crazed too, Shelley Duvall, oh, if oh, you know yeah. what I mean. Yes, yes. But then she also had uh, the look of um, the kind of J-horror from The Ring, that yeah. look with the kind of the really straight black also, hair and b- beyond the black rainbow she had a similar mm, look there were certain times where she walked around and she had it so he didn't actually posit his she wasn't a victim let's say he no. actually um put her in even the way that her eyes were shot all the characters eyes they were actually blackened yeah it was incredible so yeah, yeah. also a similarity like a visual um a physical similarity to mother marlene in the film uh, Owen Furrow, she's the older mm, woman. Yeah. And just like this fascinating juxtaposition. Know, yeah, like the generational difference between the women and then this like repeated motif. I don't know. I don't, there was something there with like, I don't know, the female characters in this were very interesting. I think it's it would be one analysis. For analysis, like, yeah. Yeah, analysis yeah coming to a university study. <laughs> <being> <laughs> <you>. <laughs> 
Yeah, look, it's a remarkable uh, feat of filmmaking for me. Uh, a little bit polarising, but um, if you are interested in seeing I think it's just got a limited uh, release. Um, the film is called Mandy. Um, yeah, I personally, for one, highly recommend it. Um, I could just keep talking about it. Three, triple, ah. Next up, Ladies in Black from Australian director Bruce Beresford, who's made more than 30 feature films across his more than 50-year career, most notably Australian war drama Breaker Morant in 1980. He later went on to have a very prolific career in the States with films such as 1983's Tender Mercies, Crimes of the Heart in 86 and Driving Miss Daisy in 89, which cleaned up at that year's Oscars, um, winning Best Picture and Best Actress for Jessica Tandy in the leading role, among other accolades. Ladies in Black sees Beresford return to Australia with a period film, his first Australian movie since Mao's Last Dancer in 2009. This feel-good comedy drama about the lives of a group of department store employees in 1959 Sydney is adapted from the best-selling novel by Madeline St John in 1993. Ladies in Black stars Rachel Taylor, Susie Porter, Shane Jacobson and Noni Hazelhurst round out the big local names with international stars Julia Ormond and Nicholas Hammond. Uh, Set in the summer of 1959, the film stars young Anguri Rice as suburban schoolgirl Lisa who takes a summer job at a department store where she works with a group of saleswomen who open her eyes to a world beyond her sheltered existence. Um, Emma, you made an evening of this one with some ladies, didn't you? <laughs> did you I and your baby enjoy it? I didn't make an evening. I made an afternoon tea. Oh, an afternoon tea. Yeah, and very ladylike. So yeah. <laughs> it's very appropriate for mm. this movie. This is a very midday matinee experience, <laughs> shall mm. we say. Very, very light. Very yes. light indeed. Yeah. Um, and so light you could barely... T- Feel it. It's like <laughs> like it's, yeah, it's light as um, as a CWA lamington. Yeah, that's what it is. Um, and uh, it, it's look, very good. The, yeah, it's that's appropriate. Gonna, yeah. It's going to go on the poster. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and and judging by the audience I saw it with, it's very relevant. They were all, I think, all sixty plus for the, the audience. That well, I saw this it with, is yeah. a, this is a film that plays very, very, very strongly on memory. And um, I thought. That it, look, it'd be beautiful looking film as well. Um, it, frocks, gorgeous frocks, everything. I enjoyed wallowing in the visual experience <laughs> of it. I very much did, I have to say. I do like a nice frock and I like a nice hairstyle and a nice lippy, which this film's very much about. Um, I thought that it's got a panto quality to it. It definitely has a panto stage quality um, and you kind of have to embrace it in in that spirit. I think that's the best way to watch it. Mm. I, uh, it is a little more nuanced, though, than that would suggest. I thought it, that the way it was playing, especially on today's migrant experience, was um, was interesting. I really thought it was interesting because uh, I could see a lot having been brought up by a woman, not my mother, but my grandmother, who is someone who is very much from that day. I could see that it was, while it was painting things in broad brushstrokes and in caricatures, it was picking up on a lot of truisms. Um, And I thought it was very interesting the way that... um, it showed a great difference 
while it it showed an affable racism, shall we say, in oh, this, which was um, yeah. particularly through the Shane Jacobson character, which I think was presented as incredibly likeable, yet he was racist. It was just bullshit. Well, it was like lovable racism. Yeah. I thought it was awful. No, I, but the thing is it's true. It's true. What? Because it's not his character, I don't think you could say, was racist out of spite and nastiness. Was he was out racist of out of ignorance and naivety. They, they but that's not okay. Yeah. And they did bring up these kind of like you could call it like big social issues. Yeah. One of which being obviously the refugee experience and race. Refos. That's mm. so. That's and the you second Australians. time. Yeah, that's the second yes. time I've heard that ever. Mm. The first time was in the merger. Oh, really? <laughs> and now this time, so obviously maybe a generational. Term it's a thing. Yeah, yeah, not used anymore. I hated this film. <laughs> <laughs> I like. I hate it. I mean, actually, hate is too strong because I don't think there's anything to hate um, because I just don't feel like there's a film there. I don't feel like there's any no. tension. I loathe there's, it as well. Yeah, there's there's no, even when there's a slight bit of conflict between like at one point um, the main character who goes by both Leslie initially and then Lisa as she's kind of asserting her, her transition to adulthood has what I'm expecting is going to be some feud with her mother and it's resolved within seconds. Yep. I thought... Okay, A, <laughs> she doesn't have the mother I have. And also I just thought there's no tension. It reminded me of, um, strangely enough, The Martian with Matt Damon where the the main issue I had with that is that, uh, yeah, sure, a man is stuck on Mars, but um, nothing actually bad happens. And so this is a film, I saw it like completely doped up on cold and flu tablets, so I might be, you know, <laughs> talking from, I'm talking from that perspective. But, yeah, it was just Yeah, nothing. every moment of tension happens within a scene and is resolved within that scene. It is, so, actually. So that yeah. one that you're talking about is uh, the mother sort of says, oh, Lisa, but but your name's Leslie. Leslie's such a lovely name. Why don't you call yourself Lisa? She's like, yeah, but I want to be a woman. I want to be free. And she's like, oh, but that, make, that hurts me, but okay. And then they yeah. hug. And then there's another one with her dad, played by Shane Jacobson, where she's trying to get him to sign off on her going to university. I thought that was going to be a big plot yeah. point because the trailer makes you feel like it might be. Yeah. No. Yeah, and then it's just it's just like, oh, what, what's your stuff? No, no, no daughter of mine's gone to university. And then they sort of trick him into signing it. And then he's like, oh, all right then. Oh, but like, you're, yeah. never, you're never entirely sure. <laughs> oh, come it goes on. Right through. Ridiculous. As if, as if, and that, I think there are there are scenes where you, like you say that, mm. but then there are others like the, the, the husband that disappears. That's true. That's that is carried, yeah. that's carried through. But then there was always back. the threat. And it's just like, I thought you didn't like the sex. No, I loved it. Oh, that's great. Let's have sex again. Great. <laughs> But that, like, oh, that's a spoiler. Alert. That's right. That's yeah. right at it's the a end. Tension. You've ruined it. <laughs> so the only bit of tension. That's not my fault. Uh, and I actually like. I love that era of fashion and design. And I actually thought it felt really flat there. I thought that department store where there was so much potential for that to be oh, really lavish and immersive. But that dress, dress was so blah. I know. Why so are you she, meant to believe the main character is obsessed with this dress? And I'm like, what? It's so dull. <laughs> um, I just I felt like the department store was two locations you know yeah. it was like the boutique part and the main store part and that was it and I was just yeah. like oh there was I, you know one redeeming thing I thought Rachel Taylor was quite good oh, yeah she was quite charming in this I, I'd recently watched Jessica Jones and was like had rewatched it mm. and was thinking how great she is as Trish and also um Julia Ormond yeah. as um Magna she, she was great. okay but a bit of a caricature as yeah. well oh, you know I just oh, yeah well they, well they had Ryan Kaur playing a Hungarian Love it was it was very I mean. typically real though. It was very much <laughs> like it was. No. Yeah. 
Seriously? I'm from migrant stock. Come on, Emma. It hit the... the, (laughs) I can tell you from the people I've known, it actually hits the nail on the head in caricatures. Salami? Oh, what do you call this salami? Oh, I could get into that. But that's what it is. That's what it was. That's what Australians were like. The Anglo-Australians. They were also a lot more racist than even them talking about the migrant experience and saying, oh, you know, we came from concentration camps and it was horrible and um, but now being in Australia it's so lovely and I'm like that well with the, Australia with the yeah. awful p- policies that we have of, of offshore detention like what are yeah. you trying to do with this film yeah. like come on be yeah, yeah. real about who we are it doesn't yeah. it doesn't own our racism at all and I just and also but there, wasn't, there was an offshore it. detention then Sorry? There was an offshore detention no, there. No, but if you're trying to make a film relevant, why are you trying to paint this, like, glorious picture of Australia being so tol- uh, this tolerant society, yeah. if not a little ignorant? I didn't find it tolerant. Yeah. Did you find it tolerant? Oh, I didn't I, find I, there was I tolerance. I think it was very I think it. it was I very... It, really? Yeah. yeah. I, I thought it went too easy. I mean, I think yeah. in general it was too easy. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, okay. a bit forgiving of its racist characters. Anyway, I should wrap it up because we've, <laughs> we're gone, we've gone over time. Oh, my God. Yeah. Tonight we discussed local films, Ladies in Black, which is on wide national release, and the documentary Ghost Hunter, which is on limited release. You can catch it at Classic Cinema, Elsterwick and Lido in Hawthorne. Uh, and finally, I'm calling it it's my favourite film of the year, American feature Mandy, starring Nicolas Cage, is on wide limited release uh, at your good local independent movie theatre. You've been listening to Felicity Ford, Emma Westwood and myself, Lisa Kovacvich, on Triple R's Plato's Cave. This has been a podcast from Free Triple R, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.